The children are uh, dismissed for Children's Church this morning, so if that's you, you can leave. If that's not you, turn to Psalm 103 today. That's where we're going to be spending our time. Psalm 103, it is a lengthy psalm. It is a long psalm for us to think about. So Charles Spurgeon said this about the 103rd Psalm. He actually uh, talked about it in this way. He said, it is the, the psalm, this 103rd Psalm has ever seemed to us to be the Monte Rosa of the divine chain of mountains of praise, glowing with a ruddier light than any of the rest. It is as the apple tree among the trees of the wood, and its golden fruit has a flavor such as no fruit ever bears unless it has been ripened in the full sunshine of mercy. It is man's reply to the benedictions of his God, his song on the mount answering to his Redeemer's sermon on the mount. Nebuchadnezzar adored his idol with flute, harp, um, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, and David, in far nobler style, awakens all the melodies of heaven and earth in honor of the one only living and true God. Our attempt at exposition is commenced under an impressive sense of the utter impossibility of doing justice to so sublime a composition. We call upon our soul and all that is within us to aid in the pleasurable task, but alas, our soul is finite and all of our mental faculty far too little for this enterprise. There's too much in the psalm for a thousand pens to write. It is one of those all-comprehending scriptures, which is a Bible in itself. And it might alone almost suffice for the hymn book of the church. So since I can't do it, let me just raise you guys up for the benediction. I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm not going to do that. We're going we're to attempt to dive deeply into this psalm today. And, and I go to this psalm today because I got to tell you that um, this psalm is, is a psalm that we should be memorizing, we should be copying that we should be hiding its, its words in our hearts so that we can be reminded of all that God is and all that God has done. There is not a single supplication in this entire psalm. David doesn't ask God for anything in the midst of Psalm 103. And as a matter of fact, what he's doing is he's actually preaching to himself. And we need that. We need that in our lives sometimes because we need preaching to ourselves about, hey, soul, what are you longing for? What are you looking after? Soul, what is it that is occupying your, your time and your mind and all of the things that's going on? Soul, what is going on? It's like, I almost feel uh, funny. Uh, sometimes I've, uh, my, <laughs> sometimes Katie goes, honey, what are you doing? And I'm like, you're talking to yourself again. And I'm like, oh, I'm just preaching to my soul, honey. I'm just preaching to my soul. You know, and sometimes I, I, feel, I fear that she might like buy me a goldfish. That way, at least I'll be talking to somebody, you know, as opposed to just myself. But David is speaking to himself, and he, he recognizes that there's some sort of you know, doldrums, there's some sort of um, just withering affection that he has for the father. And he's saying, you know, I, I need this, I need this. Uh, John Newton says this way before we read it. John Newton, and, and tell me how many of these, the great hymn writer, he says, the life of faith seems so simple and easy in theory, that I can point it out to others in a few words. Man sins, Jesus saves, believe, right? I mean, that's, that's the gospel. But in practice, it is very difficult. 
and my advances are so slow that I can hardly say I get forward at all. Do some of you feel that way sometimes? You're like, I understand the gospel in my mind, but I feel like my advance in the gospel, my, my love and my affection and my, my onward sanctification, it is so slow. I mean, I mean, in some ways, we feel like, okay, we go, all right, I'm, I'm one step up, I'm two steps down, you know, I'm up, I'm down, and you just feel like you're going sideways sometimes and, or in reverse, right? I mean, some of you, I know you feel that way because I feel that way. And there are times when we come to the Psalms, and this Psalm in particular, where we are preaching to ourselves. And so I want you to see that in verses 1 and 2, you know, it really 1 and 2a are kind of the, the overall message. And in verses 3 through 5, what we find is that uh, David is saying, like, I need to preach to myself. And then after he preaches to himself a little bit, he goes through 6 through 19, and he talks about who God is and what God has done for the people of God. And by the end of it, he's not only speaking to himself, but he's speaking to all of creation. He's speaking to the angels in heaven. And he says, bless the Lord, O you his angels. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. Bless the Lord, all his ministers, and all for all his works, all his places, all his dominions. So he starts with himself. And then by the end of the psalm, it's almost he bursts forth and saying, we all need to be praising God. Because the gospel is working itself up in our lives in such a way that we actually want to sing at church. Like we want to come in and we want to sing with great joy. You know, like what, what do we, and last week we talked about Psalm 150 and we talked about what do you do when you don't want to praise God? Well, one of the things that you do, you run to a passage like Psalm 103 and you go, Lord, teach me about who you are and teach me about all your benefits. So, Let's, uh, let's read God's Word again. We, we, we read it once before. Jill did um, a great job reading it. Let's read it again. Of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his commandment and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And this is where David transitions. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
So, this is where we find ourselves. Um, I can't do justice to this whole psalm. Matter of fact, I think I could just say, hey, you know, for the rest of the summer, we're just going to do Psalm 103. Um, but I'm, I'm going to attempt, I'm going I'm to hit some highlights from Psalm 103. The first is that we see, and I'm going to try to frame it in the midst of uh, the, the three R's, not reading, re- writing, and re- arithmetic, but redemption, relationship, and reservation, okay? So those are the three R's today. You know, it's redemption, relationship, and reservation. The first thing that we see is that David asks, he says, bless the Lord. Now, what does that mean, the idea of bless? It means that, that we are extolling, that we are praising God. You know, in the midst of this, he's, he's preaching to his own soul, all that is within me, not just part of me, but he's asking all of, not just, you know, um, it's amazing to me how distracted I get in the midst of worship. Anybody else here seem like distraction just comes, you know, in, in just waves in the midst of you trying to sing or praise God or read your Bible? Like who here gets distracted when they read their Bible? Anybody? I mean, some of you get distracted walking to your Bible you're like, oh, I think I see a donut. You know, that's where I'm going. You know, like, and, and you know, that, that's just kind of what happens, right? But what David is saying, he says, all that is within me, all that is within me, I want to give all of myself to you. Again, it's amazing to me that I can give all of my focus and attention when I'm watching a sporting event on TV. I mean, total concentration, nothing. I mean, I, our house could be on fire. And I would say, you know, honey, can you turn down the heat? You know, and, but I just complete and utter focus. And yet, when it comes to the things of God, it's amazing how I think Satan, the world, and the flesh conspire against us to distract us and to dissuade us from pursuing the things of God. But he says, all that is within me. And here's what he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, in verse 2, and he says, and forget not all his benefits. Now, this is what we see as the summary part right here. Do not forget all of his benefits. Now, for those of you, um, you know that being in Christ is beneficial to your soul, and the promises of God will actually help you in the midst of your, your struggles in this life. But we think about benefits, right? I mean, like, I mean, we're, we all go for benefits, right? Like, so, you know, when you're offered a salary, like, well, yeah, what's the benefits? What are the benefits for my salary, right? Like, do I have health care? Do I have dental? Do I have vision? What about my 401k? What's the matching? You know, how am I going to do this? I mean, do I have an HSA to go with this? And I mean, the amount of benefits that we have, or, or maybe when you're, you're applying for a new credit card, uh, you're looking for like, well, I want to get like 75,000 uh, extra points when I fly Southwest or Chase Points or Citibank. And, and none of this sermon is brought to you by any of those companies. But I'm just telling you that, you know, we're always looking for the benefits, right? We're trying to figure out what are we going to get out of this, right? Well, this is what David is doing. He's saying, Lord, like, bless my soul. Okay, Lord, what have you done for me? Let me remind myself. Again, the idea of remember is that we are putting ourselves back together. You know, uh, Satan, the world, and the flesh are trying to dismember our faith, to leave us in fragmented pieces, and to be remembering, reminding our souls all of the benefits. So here's where it begins. Again, redemption and the healing from sin. Here's what he says, and forget not all his benefits, verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity. The first benefit he says there is he wants us to know that we are forgiven. Everything that has happened, that we have done, we are forgiven. Let me, um, 
read from uh, just a quote from Dane Ortland, um, and, and he talks about this with regard to our own sinfulness. Um, let me get there. Re- repentance and faith. Um, and, and he talks about Jesus here. And he says, have you reduced the Lord Jesus to a safe, containable, predictable Savior who pitches in and helps out your otherwise smoothly running existence? Have you treated what is spiritually nuclear as a double-A battery? Might one reason we stall out in our growth in Christ be that we have unwittingly domesticated the expansive authority and rule of Jesus Christ over all things? And here's what he says about Jesus even further. Because I do think that that happens, right? Like we, we, we make Jesus very comfortable and, you know, he, again, he's like a double-A battery when he's really a nuclear option. But this is what Jesus did when he talks about saving us. When we were running full speed the other direction, he chased us down, subdued our rebellion, opened our eyes to see our need of him and his all-sufficiency to meet that need. We were not drowning in need of being thrown a life preserver. We were stone dead at the bottom of the ocean. He pulled us up, breathed new life into us, and set us on our feet. And every breath we now draw is owing to his full and utter deliverance of, of us and all our helplessness and death. Jesus saves. Now, as we think about this idea of Jesus saving us, you know, he saves us from our sins. He forgives all of our iniquity. Now, some of us have a hard time believing that. But, but he goes on. If you look at verse 10, as well as verse 12, he is really sort of explaining further verse 3. Because again, verse 3 says, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases. And he says, he does not, in verse 10 it says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And in verse 12 it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You know, Stephen Charnock says this, he says, when sin is pardoned, it is never charged again. The guilt of it can no more return than east can become west or west become east. You see, when you're, you're forgiven in Christ, it's removed as far as the east is from the west. Isn't that good news? Because when you, when you think about um, all the things that you you know, you pursue all the things that you, you recognize are, are not going to be, you know, necessarily good for you. Um, your, your, your sins, you know, um, again, Ortland says this about our, our own sinfulness. He says, talking about um, our own insidiousness, you know, and most insidious of all is our minds and our hearts have been infected because of sin. And here's what he says, we crave the forbidden, We celebrate others' misfortune. We hoard rather than give. And in short, we construct our entire lives around the throne of self. Right? We construct our entire lives around the throne of ourself. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus is on a rescue mission and he saves us. You know, one of the reasons why we like action movies and we like, you know, movies that end with the hero winning is because they're all reflecting the story of salvation in Christ. 
Because in the midst of dire circumstances, when it looks like nothing in in the world can actually save us, Jesus saves us. That's a benefit. You know, I was talking to somebody this week, and I really appreciated what he said when he said, isn't it nice to know that we are not defined by our worst day (laughs) or our worst action, but rather if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. And the Lord, we call that word expiation, where he, he takes our sin and removes it far away. That's who Jesus is. That's, that's a benefit. It's a huge benefit. That, that's where he begins. But in verse 4, he, he moves on to not only are, is our iniquity pardoned, but who redeems your life from the pit. Who redeems your life from the pit. Now, I, this you know, rises up like when we think about maybe Psalm 40, where it talks about we, we, we are, you know, in this miry bog and in the pit of our own sin and suffering and misery. And what, what Jesus does is he purchases, us, purchases our salvation for us. And, and, and what's, um, what's amazing is that we're so dirty and that he buys, purchases our salvation. Um, how many of you have a problem uh, when you go to the fruits, uh, to like Dillon's, or, and, you, and, you, and you pick a lot of different produce trying to find the very best one? Yeah, or you see people in front of you who just, especially I like post-COVID, they're like just touching all the fruit. And you just want to go like, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. But I mean, some of us, I mean, we're looking for like the best piece, right? And Jesus doesn't look for the best piece. Jesus looks for the most broken piece. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to redeem this. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to renew this, this broken, this deeply broken thing I am going to redeem. You know, that is the wonder of the gospel working itself out for us. Now, you know, not only does he redeem your life from the pit, um, but he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Again, I can't go into all of these, but, but when we think about that, like not only does he redeem you, not only does he just clean you off, and he doesn't just clean you off and send you on your way, but he, but he cleans you up and then he crowns you. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. A love that will, will, is, will never fade or go away. And, and the idea of mercy there is just that we don't get what we deserve. It's a, it's a wonderful gospel truth. That's what mercy is. Grace is unmerited favor. But mercy, and, and this is important for us, Um, Grace is unmerited favor. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jerry Bridges taught us that, right? But mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And God, in his infinite mercy, he just pours forth mercy upon us. And we deserve to be punished. But in his mercy, he punishes someone else in our place. Again, our souls need to be reminded of these truths. He satisfies you with good and so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You know, he continues to pour forth good things in your life. As a, as a matter of fact, it, it's this idea that if we, if we took our lives and, and we literally were journaling, and in the midst of the journal we said, okay, let me talk about all the bad things over here that have happened to me, are happening to me, and even maybe some of the fears about things that I, might happen to me. And then on the other side, you list all of the benefits that God has given you in Christ. Your hand will get tired as you continue to list off all the promises of God. 
as you begin to think about all the benefits. Now, you will extinguish or, or get to the end of your list of all the terrible things going on, but if you continue to write down from Scripture the law of the Lord, again, you know, the joy, the joy, the joy of those who meditate day and night on the law of the Lord. As we begin to list out those promises. Now, let me shift gears to another R here, okay? That's the redemption. But, but also this idea of relationship relationship is with a father. Now, I've had people ask me sometimes, you know, can't we say that God is the father of everyone who is existing today on earth, right? And I would say yes and no, okay? Yes in terms of our existence, yes in terms of him being the creator God who creates all things, but most of the time within Scripture, when we talk about God being our Father, He's talking about a relationship with us, not about some sort of creative you know, part of, of, of our relationship with Him. It's about relationship, not existence. So the question becomes, who is God and what is the benefit that we see? And this is, and you know what, this is just providence, because I'm preaching this, I didn't even know it was going to be Father's Day today. I really didn't, okay? But, you know, it's Father's Day when we think about our good, good Father that we have in heaven. So when he says this, um, as a father, in verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. That is such, such good news when we think about that. You see, you're our Father, our good, good Father, has compassion upon us. We think about maybe Isaiah 49, you know, where it says, you know, how can a nursing mother fail to have compassion for her nursing baby? You know, this, there's this biological, you know, biologically rooted love for her children. You know, can a, can a woman forget those things? And yet what God says in, in, in His holy word is that your good, good Father as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You see, your parents give you existence, and you might even have some resemblance of them. But what we find with regard to our Heavenly Father is that in Christ, when Jesus took all of our sins upon himself, we are now adopted into the family of God. As a matter of fact, turn with me in your Bibles to the, the book of Galatians, chapter 3. I want to show you this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over. If you don't, you can just listen. Look, look at what he says. He, he says... In, in Galatians chapter, um, I'll read 3.28 and I'll go into 4. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither you know, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. 
In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's That's a a wonderful picture of adoption, and that's one of the benefits that we get as being in Christ. If you are joined to Christ, if you have faith and trust and believe in Jesus, then not only are your sins forgiven, but you are now elevated to a status of an heir of the covenant of grace. You have a father who loves you, a father who's the king of the universe, and you are an adopted member of his family. That's the relationship that we have. Now, if you are in Christ, you are a son and daughter of the Most High King. If you are outside of Christ, you are said to be an enemy of God, per Romans 5. Those are the two options. It's either enemy or son or daughter. That's it. There's no place in between. Enemy or a child of God. And the relationship that we have the Father is is so extraordinary. I mean, think about this, that we have access to the throne room of grace. We can come to the Father in prayer any time we want. At any time, in the midst of day or night, struggle, pain, sorrow, joy, exaltation, our Father says, you have access to me. At any time, you can come to me and ask what you want. And I love you, and I want to hear from you. And and I love what Psalm 103 says this. He says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. It is a wonderful truth for us to know and to believe that we are forgiven and loved in Christ. But some of us feel like we let our fathers down, right? I mean, some of, you, some of you have wonderful fathers, and some of you have fathers who maybe weren't so wonderful. And I'm sorry. I, I, I really am sorry for that. Because dads are supposed to protect and love and play and, and, and just be there as like this rock, you know, for your kids. And by rock, I mean a soft place as well, right? That's what... That's, that's what and, and so when you hear the, the, the term father, you initially just kind of shun that because you have such a broken, or you had, you had a bad father. Now, there's other of us that think, um, man, I'm just letting my father down all the time. I mean, some of you feel this way. Like, you feel like, man, I haven't read my Bible. I have not pursued the things of God. God knows my thought life. And, 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 and you go, God knows my thought life? And you go, I have let him down immensely. Or, you know, you haven't loved your children, you haven't loved your wife, and you feel like, man, I'm just letting God down all the time. I mean, this is a truth for us right here. L- listen to what Barbara Duguid says in, in her book, um, Extravagant Grace. He says, you know, God is deeply compassionate towards us and our weakness. And he remembers that we are made of dust. We are the ones who keep forgetting that truth. Just as we see Jesus grieving over sin during his earthly ministry, so the Father hurts for us and with us, even as he turns us over to painfully shattering life experiences. But he is not punishing us for our sin in this, nor is he angry with us. 
To interpret God's heart as being angry, disappointed, impatient, or exasperated with his redeemed children is to misunderstand his character profoundly. Instead, he is training us in righteousness and causing us to grow in him. God is not in heaven wondering how we will behave and how we will respond to temptation. He is governing every circumstance for our growth and benefit. When he turns us over to our own sin in order that we might see our great need for him, he is training us in humility and dependence. This is the loving hand of our infinitely patient heavenly father, calmly walking us through the pathways he has ordained for us. He hates sin and grieves over the pain that we inflict on ourselves, but he is not annoyed or angry, displeased, surprised, or exasperated with us. Why not, you ask? Because Jesus has obeyed perfectly for us, and now we are hidden, wrapped, and lost in the luxurious folds of his perfection. Can the Father feel any of those negative emotions towards his Son, Jesus Christ? Of course not. And since we are united to his son, God thinks about us the same way he thinks about him, even when we sin. This astonishing love can change our lives and give us a deep and abiding joy in the midst of our continuing weakness and sin. What is more, far from leading you further into your sin, knowing this kind of love will actually make you want to obey your heavenly father more and more. Again, our father shows compassion to us. Some of you feel like you've disappointed God. Some of you feel like um, you can never go to our Father in heaven. But let me, let me give you an example, um, a, a worldly example. When, when your children do something really, really poor, and they just totally blow it, right? Like maybe they, they, they lie to you, but then when they come to you and they confess that to you do, you, do you turn them away? No. You wrap them in your arms and you say, you're forgiven and I love you. How about when, you're, when your child, and this is going to happen for some of you, when your child gets into an accident with your car, is the first question you ask, is the car okay? You shouldn't ask that, by the way, okay? You ask, are you okay? Because cars are just things and they can be replaced. Are you okay? You know, our Father in heaven does the same thing. Like, because we're in Christ, he's not exasperated, he's not angry, he's not, you know, overwhelmed by all these things. But what he does love is he loves it when his children come into his presence and, he, and we lay out before him all of the needs and struggles and sins that we have. And he says, I forgive you. As far as the east is from the west, I forgive you. As far as, as high as the heavens are, so, so my steadfast love is upon you. I love you. I love you. And I got to tell you, um, even growing up, I remember there was a one time, I think I was like seven or eight, and I was uh, playing Superman on our furniture at our house, right? And, you know, like we're, we're jumping on the furniture. And because, you know, and I knew that it was wrong because my parents had told me time and time again that it was wrong. And I remember we had this like 1970s kind of like, like lounge thing. It was orange. It was just hideous, you know, and it had really, really small legs on it. And I remember my brother and I, we would just leap onto this thing. And I remember I got to the point where I was pretty big and I leapt on it and those little legs just snapped from underneath it, right? And I'm like, oh no, my father is going to kill me, right? Have you ever been in that spot? So what did I do? Because I'm really, really smart. I set it up. 
you know, underneath there, and I go, and I walk away. And I go, nobody will ever know. Until my dad sat on it, and it just went straight to the ground. And my dad, at that time, was not, um, you know, known for being long-suffering, and he was, uh, but when I came to him in tears, and I said, Dad, I broke it, I'm sorry, I tried to hide it, I'm sorry, I lied to you, I'm sorry. My dad, oh, now, there was punishment, I don't say there's not punishment, okay, but my dad forgave me. And my dad took me and he says, you know what? This thing was old anyway. Because this orange, hideous looking thing, I thought it was like my dad's prized possession. I mean, that would have been like his Mickey Mantle baseball. I'm not like throwing that around the yard or anything. But, but even if I did, my dad would forgive me because he loves me. The same thing goes with your father in heaven. Now, let me go to the last R today. The last R is this. We have a reservation. And this is a small point, but I think this is really, really key. When you look at uh, Psalm 103.15, it talks about who we are. It says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. There's this little word there in verse 16. It says, And its place knows it no more. This place. I think all of us are longing for a place to belong. All of us are longing for a place to belong. And what we find is that we find the place for us to belong when we find it in the steadfast love of the Lord, which is from everlasting to everlasting. Because here's the reality. You know, you are going to get a mass, a whole bunch of stuff in, in the midst of your life, right? And, and at some point, all of the stuff that you amass in your life will either be called a yard sale or an estate sale based upon how good your stuff is, okay? If it's really, really good stuff, they call it an estate sale. If it's like, oh, maybe not, it's a yard or a garage sale, right? You're just kind of getting rid of it, right? And then, you know, I guess maybe there's a third part where we just try to give it away, right? But that's the reality, right? Like, we don't take anything with us, and so we're longing for this place, and so we're spending all of our time developing place. Like, for example, I know that you have a sense of place because most of you sit in the same place in church every week. And when somebody who might be a visitor sits in your spot, you look at them with like, do they know where they are sitting? Yeah, you might, I mean, you're very gracious and there's open seating and all that kind of stuff, but you're like, man, or like you park in the same spot. You, know, you go to the same restaurant, you order the same food. There's sort of repetition and there's, there's comfortable, you get comfortable in what you know, right? And so we're all longing for place. We're longing for place. And yet, um, what we find is that the ultimate place is found in heaven. When we think about Jesus, in, in John chapter 14, Jesus says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Christian, where is your place? Your place is in heaven. Up until then, you are wandering nomads here on this earth. Now, it's good to, you know, be a part of things, and, but, but eternally, let's, let's be thinking about heaven. Let's be thinking about the place. Let's think about this eternal, steadfast love of the Lord that will endure forever. Let's think about when, when faith will be realized, when there will be no more sin and pain and anguish and discord relationally. Let's think about heaven in that way. And what we find is that our elder brother Jesus is making a reservation 
for us right there. And the way that you get into heaven is you have a ticket that is signed by Jesus. That's how we get in. You know, so when you get to heaven and they say, who's the reservation under? You say, Jesus. It's under his name. Now, let me, let me um, conclude with this story. It's probably one of my favorite stories. I love this story. It's in a little book. Um, and I want, I want you to see the benefit um, that we have. Um, it's a Civil War story. And it goes like this. A, a young soldier in the Civil War was caught asleep at his guard post. And his punishment for that had to be, he had to be shot to death for his carelessness. Now, this young man had a friend who was a lawyer, and the lawyer came to visit the imprisoned soldier and asked him how he could have been so careless as to fall asleep. Like, you know, when you fall asleep on guard duty, they have to shoot you. Well, said the young soldier, I I could hardly help it. I had been on duty for 24 straight hours, and there was no one to replace me, and I was very tired. The lawyer took this information to the court-martial and pleaded with high officials to drop the death sentence. Sadly, they told him that no one could change the decision except the commander-in-chief of the army, who was Abraham Lincoln, the president of the United States. So the officials gave the condemned soldier some papers to identify himself, as well as an explanation of the sentence and the reasons for the request of change in the sentence. So the young soldier set out for Washington, D.C., but along the way, he was robbed and he was beaten. The thieves took his papers and his money so that all he had were the dirty, torn clothes he wore. Desperate, he continued to Washington and tried to persuade the guards that he needed to see the commander-in-chief of the army. No one would listen to the poor soldier. In despair, he sat on a bench near the White House and sobbed with his head in his hands. Presently, a boy saw the weeping man and asked him, Sir, what's the matter? The man looked up and shook his head sadly. You're just a child and can't help me. I I won't bother you with my troubles. But the boy did not give up. Tell me anyway, sir, maybe I can help you. So the young soldier told the boy his sad story of how he was caught asleep at his guard post and sentenced to death. And unless the president would change the sentence, um, and only the Our president could change the sentence, but he had no papers to identify himself. All hope of life was gone. The boy listened very quietly and then exclaimed, I can get you in to see the president. My name is Tad Lincoln. He took the man by the hand and led him into the White House. They came to the big doors behind which the president was seated. When Tad tried to open the doors, however, two guards stopped him. But the boy protested, my father told me to enter at any time I choose. He will see me any time. So he entered in. There behind the desk sat the president. The young man, conscious of his rags, stood behind the boy as he was introduced to Mr. Lincoln. At the boy's urging, he told his story again with tears. The president listened carefully, and when the young man had finished his story, he set him free, giving him a full and complete pardon. Of course, that young man never forgot it. That's what we have in Christ. Jesus brings us into our Father's office, pleads on our behalf, and our Father pardons us. But even better than this story, he says, now you're a part of my family. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that as we think about Psalm 103, we would not forget your benefits. Father, we are redeemed 
Father, we have a relationship with You, our good, good Father, who has compassion upon us. And Father, we have a reservation for heaven. Father, thank You that Jesus ushers us into Your throne room of grace. Thank You that He died on the cross for our sins. Father, may Jesus become more dear to us. Father, thank You that we are not without hope. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would preach this to ourselves so that we would believe. Lord, help us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.